before you end up uh, in Proverbs, turn with me in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start our time here and um, kind of set the table for what we're going to look at in, in uh, Proverbs this morning. I uh, appreciate uh, those that um, filled in in my absence. Uh, Rusty and, and uh, Don were so... Uh, Terry and I often look at each other and just uh, so thankful to the Lord for the gifted teachers we have in our church that teach well and and that Terry and I are always uh, encouraged. We know when we're gone that uh, you all will be cared for well and served well in the teaching. So thank you for those that um, that filled in. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 4 and uh, let me um, uh, come at this text in Proverbs by looking at this uh, this background that we see in Ephesians chapter 4. Um, we've talked about this verse a lot. This is one of those, one of those verses that really um, explains and gives us insight as to the nature and work of the church. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Are you there? Okay. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ." Um, they're, they're, this is an anchor text uh, for uh, our church in particular and for churches in general because it, it teaches for us a, a schematic or a paradigm for how the church is to function. The leaders equip believers, believers do the work of the ministry, and uh, so we see that pattern there. We also notice, if, if you look back at the text there, really the, the two goals of this ministry, what's supposed to happen in the local church? And, and that is really twofold. We're supposed to grow in maturity of Christ and also in unity around Christ. So the two goals of the church, unity and maturity, leaders equip believers, believers minister to one another to spiritual maturity and to unity in the body. Now, now with that in mind, look at verse 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. Now, I love babies. And by God's grace... We had three of them, okay, and and some of you had some too, and and children. We love children. Uh, by God's grace, we have three of them, and you have some of you have grandchildren, even some of you. But <laughs> there would be a major problem if those babies, if those children remained babies and children their whole life, right? Because we 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 hold them. When they're first born, we watch them grow. We're in the season where it seems like every about month we're going back to the store to buy shoes because you know the said child has outgrown them. Another, you, are you there, Mr. Gifford? Okay. So anyway, um, and, and and that's what they're supposed to do. Babies are supposed to grow up. Okay. And uh, uh, Dr. Steinman back there, they have these growth charts, right, to make sure we're tracking on the growth chart. The, ba- the child is developing uh, in in that normal way uh, that they do in the medical profession. And what this text is saying is, spiritually, there's an equivalent to that. That God's will for the life of Christians is that they not remain babies or children forever. That they grow up to maturity. That they, that they, they move on to spiritual adulthood. And actually, there's a problem 
just like in the physical world, there's a problem when Christians remain spiritually immature. That's a bad thing. And the text tells us why that's a bad thing. Look back at verse 14 and tell me, why is that a bad thing? This is the part where you read and then tell me what you think. Okay, Dwayne says stability. They lack stability. Cece, what would you say? Yeah. Yeah. They're easy targets. They're easy targets. They're deceived. They're tossed around, as it says here, by every wind of doctrine or carried about by every wind of doctrine, by trickery. Um, a child is very easy to deceive, right? And we don't fault them for that. They're kids. That's what kids do. And then when you grow into maturity, you say, okay, I kind of understand things a little better. You know, if I tried to explain, you know, doing my taxes to my seven-year-old, he wouldn't get it, right? He, he, he would not understand that. And um, so, so children are an easy target for deception, for trickery, for craftiness, to deceit. And in spiritually speaking, that is true also, that people who remain spiritually immature are easy targets for spiritual attack. Okay? And that's why this is so important. Um, uh, we live in a culture of churches that are filled with spiritual babies that are middle age and older. And that is why there is so many problems in the church in terms of false doctrine and false Christian practice and people going after all sorts of things where they say, hey, this is the latest, greatest thing. I, I, um, the, the example that pops into my mind as I was thinking about this was a very, very popular devotional book. Have I told you the name? Uh, well, I'll tell you the name. I'll just tell you. It's called Jesus Calling. How many heard of Jesus Calling? Okay, it is on the front shelf of almost every Christian bookstore that I've ever walked into. Okay, popular bestseller. Here's what the author said. I was walking in the woods one day and I felt the presence of Jesus walking in the woods. And I sat with my Bible open one day, reading my Bible, and I thought, there's got to be something more to my spiritual life than just reading my Bible. So what if I prayed to God, and then I just sat and listened for an answer? And then I wrote down what I thought Jesus was telling me in the answer. So she did. She started filling up a journal with what she thought was Jesus talking to her in the quietness of her time with the Lord. Okay, Now, now just to be clear, she's not reading her Bible, doing a Bible study. Uh, she's not you know, studying some point of theology. She's just listening in the quiet of her house. And the book called Jesus Calling is what she wrote. And she thinks that in the quietness of those moments, the thoughts that came into her head, hang on, hang on, were really Jesus talking to her. And so she wrote those things down and is selling it. It's one of the most popular devotionals today. Now, as a pastor, I scratch my head and I say, you know, that's no different than reading the Book of Mormon. It's no different than reading the Book of Mormon. It's no different than reading Science and Health of Key of the Scriptures. 
It's an extra biblical, meaning a, a, in addition to the Bible document that claims to come from God himself. Now, I know a lot of people that have bought this book, read this book, enjoy this book, have benefited from it. And, and I, and, and again, I go, these aren't people that believe that we should be adding books to our Bible. They, they don't believe that. But somehow they read that devotional and they totally miss the premise. So read the introduction of the book. If you don't think I'm telling the truth, read the introduction of the book. That's what she says. And it's no different than someone saying, hey, I've got some extra books I want to add after the book of Revelation in your Bible. Okay. Now, now here's the question. Why does that go on? How can, how can a Christian publisher publish that? But you'd think that they have some sort of basic doctrinal commitment, right? That I don't think they publish the Book of Mormon, as far as I know. And I'm not picking on the Mormons. I'm just saying they're, they're, they're anybody adding to the Bible. Why is that? Because we live in an evangelical culture of spiritual babies. That's why. And they say, wow, this is great. This has really made my walk with Jesus more personal. Because you read the book, it, it's like first person. Jesus is talking to you like first person. Um, it's interesting as you read, I, I don't know, I won't ask for a show of hands. I don't want to make anybody feel embarrassed, but um, I've read the book. And the Jesus in Jesus Calling does not sound like the Jesus in the Gospels. He sounds like Sarah Young, the author. Shocking, right? Okay, so why is that? It's because we live in a culture of spiritual... That's why we need to grow up. That's why we need to press on to maturity. That's why you should not be content whether you're a brand new believer or whether you've been a Christian for a long time. That's why you should not be content saying, I'm happy where I'm at. Because the, the moment you stop growing, you become an easy target for deception, for false doctrine, for making... People make... You ever watch how people make decisions? Christians make decisions? And, and, and like uh, Jesus calling, they, they, they equate some sort of mystical voice in their head with the voice of Jesus, and then they make these life-changing decisions. Guys, that's, that's dangerous. That is so dangerous. I mean, if you're a Christian, the, 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 the vehicle by which God ministers to us and communicates to us is the Scriptures. And that alone is the sufficient word of God uh, able to bring the mind of God, the will of God on every... I mean, that's where we need to be going to make our decisions. Not not some mystical communication with with what we think is Jesus or or the Holy Spirit or whoever. So I don't mean to get off on that, but but that's, that's the culture we live in. And that is why we need to heed this... Uh, uh, exhortation here in Ephesians 4 that we need to grow up. We need to press on to maturity. And the book that is in your Bible that is designed to help you to grow up, spiritually speaking, grow up to maturity, is the book of Proverbs. And that's why we're studying it, because we need the wisdom and maturity and knowledge that this book brings. So so now with that, uh, with that said, you can turn back in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 2. And uh, we want to continue our study here of the book of Proverbs. Uh, This is a great chapter. And and you'll recall as we kind of parachute into this um, that this is really a book largely written by a father to his children. 
Now, now, right out of the gate, that should tell us something, right? If we're talking about young people, guess what? Children who are, who are young, um, and then we're hoping that they're growing physically, but what we also want to see them grow spiritually as they grow up. And that's why this book is here. It, this is a book designed for parents primarily to say, hey, not only as your children grow up physically, that's a good thing, but you need to be ministering to them so that they grow up spiritually as well. And, and we said this at the beginning of our study several weeks ago, children do not automatically grow up to be all that God wants them to be spiritually speaking. They do not automatically do that. God designed our bodies so that our bodies, for the most part, grow up into maturity on their own. You know, things like nutrition and whatnot are obviously needed. But what I'm saying is there, there are no intentional interventions that need to happen beyond that for a young child to grow into adulthood, unless there's something medically wrong with them, okay? But spiritually speaking, that's not true. Children do not automatically grow up spiritually without the intervention of spiritual ministry in their life. That is needed. And as a parent, that's mainly what we're called to do, is to invest in the spiritual maturity and spiritual well-being of our children. So this is a call, this is a reminder to parents everywhere. And I know you mean, well, I'm, I'm too, too late, Keith, i got grandkids now. Well, guess what? Welcome to the ministry of grandparenting, okay? Because this, this does not stop when your children leave the home. You say, uh, we never had the privilege of having children. Well, great. There are short people all around, uh, all around this place in the church, okay? There are children here. There's children in Awana. There are children in your neighborhood, children in your community. And, and we, if you're, as, as a Christian person, that is part of our ministry. As we see here in the book of Proverbs, parents have the primary role, but there are grandparents, there's the church, uh, who come alongside to help parents in that endeavor. So I want to I talk to you today about four keys to spiritual wisdom that will help us to grow in maturity so that we don't remain spiritual babies, we don't remain spiritually immature, and thus uh, stay easy targets for the enemy. Okay, so let's look at uh, the first key in our, in our topic here. The title of the message today is The Pursuit of Wisdom. And uh, we may get through the whole thing. We may have to stop halfway through and we'll pick it up next week, okay? So the pursuit of wisdom, the pursuit of wisdom. We're going to talk about four keys to grow in spiritual wisdom today, okay? So here's the first key. We need to seek wisdom by intentionally and diligently looking for it, okay? Seek wisdom by intentionally and intelligently let me try that again. We're going to seek wisdom by intentionally and diligently looking for it. We see that in the first four verses. You can think of this as the desire for wisdom, the pursuit of wisdom, okay? Look at verse 1 with me. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, if you lift your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver, and if you search for her as for hidden treasures. We're going to stop mid-sentence right there, okay? We see here the seeking of wisdom by intentionality and by diligence. And that's what I want you to see here. Now, now notice this chapter starts off the way that chapter 1 starts off, my son. Now, now that gives us the context of this chapter right away. This is a parent. This is a, a parental conversation. In, in inspiring this book, what the Holy Spirit is allowing us to do is to look over the shoulder of a conversation between a parent and children. 
Now, that's very important, right? Are you guys like me as a parent? I need all the help I can get. I do. And, and maybe you feel like that some days too. There are times you go, what do I do in this situation? How do we handle this? Well, this has never happened. And, you know, we've talked to all our friends that none of this has happened to their children. But, you know, and you just go, what do I do? And, and that's the blessing of this book is we, we get to eavesdrop, spiritually speaking, on a parenting conversation. And so if you're a parent, this is so, this is really intended for us. Now, if you're a young person, we got our teenagers in here, our junior high or high school students, this book, I've told you before, this book is for you. God inspired this book, yes, for your parents, right? It's instruction for them, but really the content of this, the, the stuff that's in the book, the, the, the how-tos, the theology, the this is how you think about it, this is what you do, this is really designed for you. So, so one, one of the practices as a, as a young Christian, and maybe, maybe you've heard this before, one of the practices someone told me as a brand new Christian in college when I came to know the Lord was just the, uh, the forming of the habit of reading through the book of Proverbs over and over and over again. Now there's this really cool thing, okay? There are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. Have you noticed this? And there are 31 days in the month. Sometimes 30. Sometimes 28, sometimes 29, but usually 30 or 31, right? And so what you can do, and young people, if, if you're not, if you're not doing Bible reading every day, or if that's something you're struggling to do, here's a great way to start. Read a proverb a day. And, and this is, this is like the, the Marty McFly easy method to Bible study, okay? You, here's what you do. You say, well, what day of the week is it? Oh, it's the 11th. Great. Okay, so you open up to Proverbs chapter 11, and there you go. You don't have to have a Bible reading plan. You don't have to have a Bible reading app. You just have to know the day of the month. And there you go, okay? So this is a great uh, uh, scripture to get into because the content is really designed for our young people. Now, now notice, what, what do we see in this text? He says, um, if you will receive my words, meaning of wisdom, if you will treasure or store up, this is verse 1 there, my commandments within you. And, and, and I want to stop right there and, and show you this. Um, I don't know if you can even see this back here because it's kind of small. Um, I was telling uh, Greg this morning, <clears throat> um, this, this is such a, a wonderful book to get into, and I appreciate that I get the chance to teach it here because um, I, and I never thought I would say this. It's poetry. It's Hebrew poetry. I mean, this is like, this is like 3,000 year old poetry. And it's awesome. Now, I'm a, I'm a former recovering engineer. So to, to, so to say that anything literature related is, is awesome really reflects God's kindness and growth in my life, I think, because I used to, I couldn't stand, uh, poetry in, in school and literature and all that until I recognized that God inspires poetry. Right? Part of his, Part of the, the, the communication that he has is in poetic. And, and, and this is what's amazing. Um, you can't see this in English. And so I'm going to try to do my best to help you to see this. But how the author writes this is designed to show us the intent or the emphasis of what he wants to communicate. You know, so like, for example, let's say you're, you're texting somebody, okay, and you really want to get your point across. You really want to emphasize a certain part. Of it. What, what could you do? You could use all capital letters, right? Or you could use emojis, right? 
you could do it. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Okay, ask your grandchildren if you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, these ways of emphasizing communication. Well, in the book of Proverbs, the way the author emphasizes what he's trying to say, the, the way he tries to say, hey, this is the point, this is the focus of what I'm trying to get you to see, is he rearranges the word order. Now, if we did that in English, that would totally kill us, right? Because English is very dependent on word order. You know, if I say the, if I say the boy uh, hit the ball, or if I said the ball hit the boy, those are two totally different thoughts depending on the word order, right? Well, in Hebrew, you can play around with things. This is the word order in Hebrew. If you will accept my words and my commandments, you store up within you. It's, it's similar, but he changes it a little bit. And what he does is he puts my words and my commandments in the middle of the sentence. Okay? And you know this because uh, Dr. Gibson preached on this last week. This is a structure... It's like it creates, if you visualize it, it creates an arrowhead. Okay? What it does by rearranging the word order, it brings focus to the center element. You can, it, 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 it's a way of emphasizing the point of what I'm trying to say in verse one is to focus on my words and my commandments. So if you were to actually hear this conversation, if you could hear Solomon reaching out to his children, he would he'd be saying, my son, if you will treasure up my words, if you will pay attention to my commandments, that emphasis is on the content of what he's going to give to them. Okay, and uh, he's going to do another one here in the minute. I've got over on the other side of the board. That's called a chiastic structure for those of you that are Bible scholars here. And you'll see this all throughout the book of Proverbs. And again, it's it's fun and it's fancy, but it serves a very important purpose. And that is it shows us what Solomon is emphasizing with his children. Now, uh, parents, let me ask you this. There are all sorts of things we can talk to our kids about, right? All sorts of things. You know, we can talk about sports. Big game tonight, right? Big game tonight. Uh, we can talk about their friends. We can talk, we can talk about, um, table manners. We can talk about grades, right? Whether well, all sorts of things. As a parent, what do we emphasize? Our most overt, intentional conversations with our children. What is Solomon teaching us simply by rearranging the word order here? What is he focusing on? He's saying, Mom and Dad, let me help you with this. The thing that, the the subject that should resonate the most with our children, the times when our children know Mom and Dad are being real serious about this, is not the cowboy game. I hate to tell you that. It's not the cowboy game. It is the Word of God. It is the commandments of the Lord. And that's, that's the big idea of what he's doing here. That should be the focus of our emphasis and our time with our kids. All those other things are important, but not as important as that. Okay, look back at the text. If you will cause your, your ear to listen attentively to wisdom, if you will incline your heart. You see that word, um, incline? I, I love that word. It means to steer. Can you, can you get, the, get the picture? He says, son, as you're walking through life, you've got to steer your heart in the direction of godliness. Right? 
So you're going to be going down the road. Your friends are going this way. Your peers are going that way. Guys on the sports team, uh, you know, your, your friends at school. And you have to take control of the steering wheel of your heart and steer your life toward the precepts of God, toward the commandments of God. That's, that's the, the word picture. And, and by the way, um, this is such a great example for us as dads. Because even, even though, um, even though we know the Word of God is important, can we be honest just for a second as parents? Sometimes we make the Word of God, the teaching the Word of God to our kids, boring. We do. Let's open our Bibles tonight, kids, and look at our verse of the day. Okay. Um, I'm kind of tired. And, and they're distracted, right? And, and do you notice, do you notice? Watch how Solomon is doing. He says, son, you've got to grab the steering wheel of your heart and steer your life toward godliness. It will not go that direction on its own. It will not. You've got to grab onto it. That's a great, isn't that a great example for parents? The word pictures we employ, the, the metaphors, the, the, the excitement, the emphasis, the helping them to think about these things. Uh, we, we do not want to be boring teachers of the Word of God. We're talking about the most interesting person, the Lord Himself, and the most important message in the universe, the Scriptures. That should show up in how we teach the Word of God. Okay, So steer your heart. Um, he says, if you call out, if you cry out for discernment, if you lift your voice for understanding... Now notice, have you noticed in, the, in this little section, these four verses here, all the different words? Just look back there. There's wisdom, discernment, understanding, precepts. There are eight different words here that are all synonyms for wisdom. Some of them have different shades of meaning, but, but when they're being used in poetry, they're, they're just synonyms. It's, it's like... It's like Solomon is surrounding his children with all these different words, wisdom, 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 wisdom. He wants his children to walk away saying, wisdom is what you need. Wisdom is what we call, is what's called for. Now, now notice here, look back at the text. If you seek her like seeking silver, something precious, something expensive, um, the way I translate this into my home is I say, you know what? God's wisdom is more important, is more valuable than having the Batmobile. It is. God's wisdom is more valuable than that Lego set. You know, th- this is a great time of year to do this, right? Because, you know, your kids have lists, your grandkids have lists. How, how many of you have gotten lists from kids, grandkids? Okay. Come on, be honest, be honest. Okay. Uh, Amazon makes this really great because you just make an Amazon list, right? And then you send it off and it's awesome, okay? Um, and what would our kids, this is a, guys, this is so important. Our kids put value on what? Things, the stuff they want, right? It may be sports equipment. It might be, um, you know, a, a, a Jason Witten signed autograph. That's cool, right? It might be Legos. It might be the Batmobile. It, it might be, it might be that new car they're saving up for. It, it, whatever it is. They, 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 our kids, it, it, pay attention. Our kids are always assigning value to things. That's what the kids do. But they're assigning value, and then they say, Whoop, that's what I want. Because we pursue the things that we think are valuable. And what Solomon is saying, he's saying, son, I want you to think about this for a minute. There is something more valuable than a Batmobile. There's something more valuable than that car you're saving for. There's something more valuable than getting that autograph or, or getting whatever that is 
on Amazon that you're asking for. And that is the, the precepts and wisdom of the Word of God. And son, here's, here's the best part. Here's the best part. You can ask God and He'll give it to you. You don't have to save up for it. You have to pursue it. You have to desire it. You have to want it. You have to go after it. That's the point of this. Seek wisdom by intentionally and diligently looking for it. What this is saying is that wisdom is valuable. It's expensive. Notice back in the text, if you search for her as hidden wisdom, right? Uh, search emphasizes the causing of the action. Like you're searching for a treasure. You're searching for a valuable. You've lost your keys, right? You've lost your phone. I had some, someone tell me that I, I, I lost my phone. Now, if you misplace your phone, is that a big deal? Not if you have a flip phone, right? But, but if you're a, a 21st century uh, person and you have some sort of smartphone that may be expensive or, or it may not be that it's so expensive, it's that it has your life on it, right? It has pictures, it has music, it has email, it has reminders, it has apps, and unless you remember to back those up all the time, if you lose your phone, you lose part of your life. Right? And he says, son, you need to, you need to go after wisdom like a lost valuable. Like something that brings your life to a halt until you find it again. That's what he's saying. These verses indicate that wisdom is something that must be intentionally and diligently sought after. You have to want it bad and be willing to work for it. That's what he's saying. Now, now notice on your notes there, notice the words. If you will receive, treasure, listen, incline, cry out, lift up your voice, seek, in search. What, what are those, by the way? What are those? They're verbs, and specifically they are... Action verbs. Okay, are you with me on this? You do not automatically become a wise person. You have to make it the pursuit of your life. And you have to work hard. You have to strive. We, we, we think of Paul's metaphors when we read this, right? He compares the Christian life to a race that you... I mean, how do, you get to, how do you get to play in the National Football League, right? You fall out of bed one morning as a high school student and the college recruiter calls and says, hey, I want you to come play for this wonderful college, right? And then, you know, after your freshman year, you're just such an awesome athlete, you know, the NFL's calling. No, those guys work and f- football is their life, right? And then, even then, only a very, 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 very small percentage ever actually get there. And, and that's the comparison here. The Christian life is like an athletic context. It's like a boxing match. It's like a race. Paul says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. This is not sitting on the couch. This is not something that just automatically happens to you. It's something you have to fight for. And those, the language there... Start, now, 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 again, think about young people. Is that what young people do? Maybe for sports. Maybe for their stuff. Maybe for their friends. But do young people naturally do that for spiritual wisdom? Not usually. Which means as mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, coming alongside and helping parents as Grace Bible Church, we have to train our children to see the value of the Word of God and the things of God. Because you, listen, you will not pursue something you do not think is valuable. 
We talked about this a couple years ago. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king, right? Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. And Christmas comes and what do people do? They yawn. Why do most people in the world not not stand up with the angelic host and sing joy to the world, the Lord has come. Why, why are we not standing up with the angels as they announce the arrival of the Savior of the world to the shepherds? Why do we not join their chorus? Answer, because most of the world does not value the person of Jesus. That's why. There will be no praise and no pursuit if there's no value ascribed to him. And so as we think about Christmas, as we think about parenting, that this is a big part of this. We have to help our children see the value of the things of God and the value of the Word of God. We understand, of course, that um, there, there's a training that, 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 that is involved in that, but what do our children really need for that to take root? What do they need? They need conversion. They need the Holy Spirit. Right? They, they need God to change their heart because only conversion, a change of heart on the inside, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit to take up residence and, and, and the, the adoption of that person into the family of God, the justification of them for their guilt, the redemption of them for their sins, only that miracle of conversion will bring about the sort of spiritual hunger that will cause young people to strive for their Lord and for His Word in the manner that we're talking about here. And you know what? The single most humbling, scary reality of parenthood is this. We cannot manufacture our own children's conversion. We can't do it. We are utterly and totally reliant on God to work in the heart. And so what do we do? We pray. We pray. And then what do we do? We minister to the Word of God because it is the Word of God, according to the Bible, that allows blind people to learn how to see. It is the Word of God that exposes the heart. What did Paul say in Romans 1? I know it's been months ago since Terry was in Romans 1. What did he say? I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is what? The power of God for salvation. So, so this is the strange thing. Our children will not naturally want and see the value of the Word of God because they're not converted yet, for the most part. But it is the Word of God that actually produces, as God ministers through it by means of the Holy Spirit, is the Word of God that begins to work that miracle in the life of children, bringing them to salvation. So so mom and dad, can I I just say this? I'm going to preach this to myself as I do. We should never, ever tire or give up of opening the Word of God with our children even when they don't seem interested, even when we, we, we wish that they, they cared more about it and that they, they, they wanted it like we do and, and, and they valued it like we do. And, and, and if you're like me, you have those nights where you go, oh, why don't they see it? Why is, why is Batman more important? And you pray more and you keep ministering the Word of God because that is what is the power of God for salvation in their life. Okay, so notice, back to the text. 
action words, right? Highly motivated, diligent pursuit. You do not get wisdom by sitting around all day and pursuing normal life. That's not how you become wise. There's no quick fix. There's no spiritual pill you can take. There's no, you know, we have instant coffee. There's no instant wisdom. You just drop, drop it in, swirl it around, and it, there's no instant wisdom. You have to describe it. Solomon says, pursue wisdom with all you are, your whole being, everything. Notice how comprehensive it is. Look back at the text. Your heart, your ears, your voice, everything. You can't say with your mouth, yes, I want to be wise, discerning and mature, when your heart is not committed to it. Your whole being has to be committed to this. Desire, commitment, wanting to, pursuit. And remember, indifferent Christians, uncommitted Christians, passive Christians, non-pursuing Christians are easy targets. They're easy targets for spiritual attack. Solomon says, my son, listen to me. Desire, commit, seek, treasure, search, cry out. There needs to be an intentional and diligent pursuit. That's the first key. Look at the second key. Ask God for wisdom as you study his word. Ask God for wisdom as you study his word. Remember, he said, if you receive treasure, listen, incline, cry out, lift up your voice, seek and search. Verse 5, then, there it is, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. It is from his mouth that come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice. And he preserves the way of his godly ones. And you see this. Look, if you look back at the verse four verses, it's if and if and if and if and if, son. And if you do those things, verse five, then what? Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Now we've talked about the fear of the Lord before, right? Remember that? We've talked about the fear of the Lord. What, what does the fear of the Lord mean? It means considering him dangerous when sin is present and awesome when sin is forgiven. That's the fear of the Lord. There's two facets of it. Remember, there's the terror facet when you are outside of Christ. And there is this amazing, awesome worship joy when you are in Christ and you contemplate the nature of God. The fear of God means considering him dangerous when sin is present and awesome when sin is forgiven. Now, what is the fear of the Lord in the Bible? It is a fundamental characteristic of believers. That's what it means. Anytime you see the word fear of the Lord, Abraham feared the Lord, Moses feared the Lord, um, David feared the Lord, what is it saying? It's saying they're a believer. That, that's what that means. They are a believer. They're trusting and relying on the Lord. Now, notice, as we saw in our, our first couple uh, studies in the book of Proverbs, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? What is it? It's the beginning of wisdom and the beginning of knowledge. And we see it here. If you strive, if you work, if you, you fight and pursue, what do you get? The fear of the Lord. That's the first play. That's the first thing. And, and this, is, this is so important that we see this. All the principles, all the specifics, all the how-tos that the Bible gives on becoming wise and discerning, all of those mean nothing. They will not bring you to spiritual maturity if you lack the fear of the Lord. Do you see that? Wisdom, listen, wisdom is first and foremost about your relationship with God. 
It is first and foremost about a person before it is about principles and content and how-tos. That's, that's why, you know, I, I hate even to say this. There are books and studies on the book of Proverbs that rip out God and are designed essentially to be secular books on wisdom. You know, here's some stuff about finances, here's some stuff about friends, here's some stuff about, you know, adultery. Even, you know, there's there's moral content, but God is ripped out of it. Do you see the fallacy of that? None of these principles that we're going to see matter until in your heart you fear this God that you're pursuing. Until that miracle of conversion happens inside of you, say, I want to know this God, I want to please Him, I want to make my life about making Him known. Wisdom is first and foremost about a person before it's about principles. Um, We must start there, right? Developing a deep understanding of God's character, His holiness, His glory, His majesty, and go from there. Now now notice with me the parallel to the fear of the Lord. Do you see it there in verse 5? And discover the knowledge of God. Okay. Now here we've got that same structure that we talked about a minute ago. And for bonus points, what the, what's the structure called? Good job, man. Do you know why it's called that? Remember I told you it's like an arrow? Okay. What Greek letter is two arrows that intercross? Well, we would say chi today. In the ancient day, they would call it key. So the, any guys do the university, uh, fraternity, sorority thing you had to learn the Greek? It's like when I went to school and they said, did you have any Greek in your undergrad? And I said, yes, but it was all in math classes. They didn't accept any Greek. So you learn the alphabet, right? This is chi or key. And you see, you see there's that arrowhead. And there it is right there. So that's why they call it a chiastic or a chiastic structure. It, it, it's named after the Greek letter chi or key. Okay, so that's what's going on here. We see here, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Now watch the change. And the knowledge of God you will find. So where's the emphasis? The emphasis is on the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. The the center of the structure is the point. And again, uh, you know, as a preacher, I was was telling uh, Greg this morning, I love studying poetry like this and teaching it. You know why? Because I don't have to guess where to pound the pulpit. Because when you look at it in Hebrew, God tells you what to emphasize. And he says, that's the point right there. And as parents, again, remember, parenting book, what do we want to emphasize? Here's a convicting, very convicting thought. Okay, I'm going to say it because I need it. Okay, so um, you just tell me. What do our children see us what do our children see us getting most excited about? Right? That's convicting, isn't it? Because there's all sorts of things I get excited about. And what Solomon is saying is what ought to excite the parent the most, and that leads to emphasizing this thing with his children, is a relationship with the Lord and the things of the Lord. And and if you're like me, you read that and you go, you know what? Um, that's pretty convicting. Because if I'm being honest with you, there are times I get more excited 
about the things of the world rather than the things of God. And then I sit down with my children and I try to teach them the word of God and I say, why don't they put more value on this? Well, maybe they're learning from me. You know, our, our children are hypocrite detectors, aren't they? You don't have to train. They come, God builds them with this circuit called hypocrisy detection. Right? And it just, you know, you can, you can say all you want. You can say it a thousand times. And if as mom or dad, you are not living that to back it up, they will be more influenced by your action than a thousand words. And as convicting as that is, one parent to another, can I just tell you, that's actually a grace. It's a grace. Because parenting is mostly about the spiritual growth of the parent. It really is. And when I feel that hypocrisy, that is God's grace in my life saying, Keith, there are some things you need to change. That's good for me, and it's good for my children. So let, let's, let's take a clue. Let's take a, a hint here from our friend Solomon thinking about what to emphasize. Now notice with me, looking back at the text, the Lord, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. There is the point, right? The source of wisdom and discernment is God. Now notice, notice the word in your Bibles, it's Lord with all capital letters. That, that emphasizes the, the personal name of God. It's not just some abstract deity giving us principles. What he's saying is, and this is important, the, the use of the personal name of God emphasizes that wisdom must be a part of a personal relationship with God. That's what that means. You cannot become a wise person without a personal relationship with this God. Because he does not dispense wisdom abstractly. He dispenses it personally as you get to know him and as you walk with him. You know, it's true that in an age of worldly wisdom, there's a sense of prudence or having good judgment, that that comes with age and experience, right? That's what we do, right? You, know, you get wise by having age and experience behind you. But will you notice with me, that's not always true when it comes to biblical wisdom and discernment? Do you see that here? Why is that not always true? Because you may have a person that's old enough to be your parent or even your grandparent, but they have not pursued the things of the Lord their life. And if you contrast that person with a, a young man or a young woman in the faith who is serious about their walk with God and they are pursuing Christ and they are pursuing wisdom and they are growing in the things of the Lord, that young person in their 20s may be more spiritually mature than that other person in their 60s. That, that's why in, in Psalm 119, uh, the author says, I have more wisdom than the aged, because your commandments are my delight. Remember that? So what brings wisdom? What brings, uh, what brings maturity according to the scriptures? It is the Lord revealing the word of God. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. And, you know, that's the difference between worldly wisdom and biblical wisdom. You can be wise by the world's standards, financially, business, and management, or you can be wise in the world's eyes, but you can be spiritually immature. You can be morally corrupt. 
That's why he says there, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. You cannot divorce biblical wisdom from holiness. You cannot divorce biblical discernment from integrity. Biblical wisdom is a moral issue. So we pursue it by pursuing a God-fearing life, a holy life. You cannot be wise according to God without being holy and Christ-like. Okay? We'll put a comma in your notes, and uh, we'll come back and we'll talk about pursuing wisdom some more uh, next week. Uh, Father, thank you for time in your word, and thank you for the wisdom that comes as we pursue you and as we pursue a relationship with you and the principles we find in the word of God. Lord, would you make... Would you make the, the goal, the striving of our life to be like our Savior, to pursue Christ in all things, and that as we do, we would grow in wisdom and godliness and discernment. Lord, I pray for those of us that are parents, that you would make us growing in ourselves. We're not going to be perfect parents, but we do want to be growing parents so that our kids see a real faith, a real pursuit, and that we would... We would value the things of the Lord, the heavenly treasures, more than the things on earth and that that would be a great blessing and ministry to our children. And Lord, as we think about this Christmas season even, that uh, the time that we spend together might the the emphasis of our family's life uh, be on the spiritual truths and the giving of the Lord Jesus as we remember him coming in this season. Lord, we're so thankful for your word. Thank you that you give wisdom as we seek it in you. In Christ's name, amen.